Good morning. Everybody ready to get into God's Word a little bit? All right, all right. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to have uh, uh, scriptures up on the screens for you today as we're going to be combining Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so what you're going to need in a moment is your handout sheet. But before you do that, we're going to start by doing something that, uh, that was laid on my heart uh, last night. And so I'd like to do that here. Uh, we are going to be talking about the issue of fear today and anxiety and nervousness and stuff like that. And so if any of you suffer from chronic worrying, nervousness, anxiety, have any disorders, uh, panic, stuff like that, I want you to stand up. I'm going to pray for you. I know there's a bunch of us. I'm already standing. All right, we got to do our final test. Yeah, if you're sitting down and you're nervous about it, <laughs> you should stand. Yeah, all right, all right. Is that it? Is that it? Okay, good enough. Let me just pray for you. Heavenly Father, I lift up everyone that is standing here, Father, because we are standing here because we are in desperate need of you. That for whatever reason, Lord, whether our chemical levels have let us down or whether or not we grew up in a household where Lord, we learn to worry and we learned a bad worldview, whether or not, Father, we are just simply overwhelmed by our circumstances, whether or not the enemy has been picking on us and being a bully in our lives. What we need, Father, is for you to come through and for you to set us free. So I pray right now for every single person that can hear my voice, everyone that is here in this building and in this campus, and Father, all those that were even too afraid to stand up, I pray, Lord, that you would encourage them, that you would strengthen them, and that, Lord, that you would show yourselves mighty to them. Would you allow today to be a day where they have a complete change in their perspective, that they have a complete change in how their body works. And Lord, that whatever you want to heal right here, right now, you do that. Whatever you want to fix, whatever things are going on in our minds or in our hearts, Lord, whatever things are in our past that have distorted our view of the present, we ask that you would unwind those and make those right. Father, we pray for all of us, including me, Lord, that we know that we are weak, but in our weakness, you show yourself strong. And so I just pray that not only would you protect us here and that you'd set your angels about the campus, and Lord, not only here where your, your presence is so thick, but God, in our cars, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, would you show us what it's like to have the Heavenly Father detail bodyguards walking along with us, knowing that we are safe as your children and as the sheep of your pasture. Lord, I pray for a transformation of our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'll tell you what, we're going to be talking a lot about this idea of of not being afraid, and, and some of it is going to be blessed and helped by a change in perspective and worldview through the Word of God. But some of it, I think you would all agree, has to be a direct touch from God, right? I mean, it just has to be God coming in and fixing stuff. Uh, I don't know where y'all stand with, with that kind of thing. Everyone that stood up, we all are at different places, have different levels of that kind of thing. But I think that fear is something that kind of is something we all relate to, in, at least in one way or another. I had somebody come to me last night and say, you know what, I don't fear at all for myself, but man, I'm, I'm scared to death for my kids. And I was like, you know what, I get it. I understand absolutely what that's like. Uh, but still, that's an issue of fear. We are in part 56 of our series called Being Jesus, and I entitled today's message, Fear Not. And I'm going to show you why here in a moment. But there is a uh, one kind of topic I want to share real quick just to lock it in your minds. And it's something I've shared before. If you were to walk through pasture land and there was a variety of pens of sheep. And as you walked through and observed all the different types of sheep, there's the little black ones and little white ones and the speckled ones and the ones with the floppy ears, right? As you walk through and you see all these sheep and you came across a pen where they all looked malnourished, freaked out, agitated, dirty, would you blame the sheep or would you blame the shepherd? 
the shepherd is in charge of the care of the sheep. Now, the reason why I mention that is the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is there's something I need us to understand. And then we'll see it a little bit more broadly in today's message. We aren't in charge of our own protection. We aren't in charge of our own protection. Our shepherd is actually in charge of our care. And he is said to be the good shepherd in scripture, the one who can take care of us, the one that never sleeps, the one that is always vigilant, the one that is ferocious and powerful and protective, the one that provides for us on a day-to-day basis, and the one that makes sure that the desires of our heart as they are purified in him are fulfilled. Therefore, we have a shepherd that is excellent. And so when we look at the quality of the sheep and what's going on, do we have it right? Or are we the little sheep that slip outside the fence and run around outside and keep avoiding the shepherd's hand and keep causing damage and he has to keep coming out and getting us and bringing us back in and then he has to wash us back up again, right? I mean, there's a bunch of reasons why the condition of the sheep sometimes are a little bit rattled, but I wonder whether or not some of it is that we don't fully understand the protection that we have in Christ. And so I want to talk about that a little bit today, but I obviously have a disclaimer, right? If you have a pastor that suffers from panic disorder talking on a message called fear not, it's rather ironic, is it not? (laughs) So let me explain something to you about that. Uh, To tell you how much I understand this, I am finishing up the final revisions for the March 1st deadline for my first book to be released through Thomas Nelson Publishing, and it's called How to Live in Fear, Mastering the Art of Freaking Out. (laughs) All right? So I'm very clear on what we're talking about. If you write a book on it, you kind of got it in your head. So obviously I've suffered from it since I was six years old. So why would I be teaching a message on fear not when it doesn't even make any sense? You'd say, man, you just got to practice what you preach, brother. Well, I'll tell you what. What God talks about in his word when he talks about anxiety and worry, he's talking much more about being nervous about a particular outcome. What he is not referring to very much is he is not referring to chemical imbalance. What he's not referring to is things that happen even when there's no distress. So he doesn't address that as much. However, those same things are triggers for those of us that suffer from disorders. And so they still matter. In other words, God has a lot to say about our circumstances, though it may not be exactly what all of us suffer from. But just know this, if you're one of those folks that have a disorder like I do, we get a double combo pack. We get the disorder and we get the normal stuff, all right? So we're going to be talking about the normal stuff today and talking about why we need to get our minds in a very different place and to know that our God is protecting us and we are safe in his arms. So last thing I'll say is last time we were together was Jesus blasting the religious leaders of the time. Y'all remember that? That's Jesus being a little bit tense, right? And he was telling his guys, man, you cannot be like the religious leaders of our day who are hypocrites doing stuff for show and they're taking advantage of other people and they're not listening to God anymore. That is not how we act. Now, even though it's not how we act and we're gonna be totally different, we gotta acknowledge they're the lead right now. They are in charge. If there's bad guys in charge, they're going to pick on the good guys. So this is what he's telling him now. Hey, guys, you're going to get picked on. I just need you to understand how to respond to that and to know you don't have to be afraid of them. And that's where we begin our story together. We're going to throw the first scripture up on the screen and let's learn right through it. It begins like this. Jesus said, I tell you, friends, so... Have no fear of them. Do not be afraid, he's saying, of these religious leaders because you are my friends. Now, the Bible uses a lot of metaphors, right, about what we are as Christians. He talks about us being the body of Christ, but yet we're the bride of Christ, but yet we're the sons and daughters of God, and yet we're, we're the branches and he's the vine. I mean, there's so many metaphors. One that you may have a hard time with is that Jesus calls us friends. You may go, friends, what does that mean? Here's all I want you to know. 
Friends implies camaraderie, inside information, and enjoyment of being together. What I want you to realize is that Jesus is saying, you know what, my friends? We're together in on this. I enjoy being with you. We're having a blast together. We're partners in this stuff. And if I'm your buddy, you don't need to be worried about them. Y'all remember in different movies where there's groups of friends and there's always one like bigger one that's like a bruiser that, that protects all the rest of them. That's Jesus. All right. So in other words, in your group of friends, you got one that's going to back up and shield and protect you. And that is our Lord. And he's saying, if you're my friends, you've got nothing to worry about. I'm in your midst. I'm with you. He said, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What does that mean? I think of it with this phrase, the truth will out. And what I mean by that is that we believe in a lot of stuff that the world doesn't agree with. All you got to do is Google it, YouTube it, figure out what do the world thinks of Christians. They think that we're all a bunch of loonies. They think that we're all worshiping some invisible God doing some weird stuff. And we hang out and we should be sleeping in church. And that we waste a lot of our time following rules from an imaginary person. And so they make fun of us. Now, the question is, either we are accurate or we are not accurate. And if we are not accurate, yes, we are to be pitied, the Bible says. However, we are accurate and the truth will out. Everybody's got an opinion on what we believe and how we view things, but things will come to light. Do you realize how many people throughout history believed something that was true, but were persecuted as if it was not? And then later on were vindicated, but it may not have been in their lifetime. For example, do you remember all the people that thought that the world was flat at one time? Do you understand the amount of persecution that came against the folks that first stood up and said the world was round? Do you understand that they were shamed and they were not vindicated until after their death? Nowadays, it's completely flip-flopped. Now, all of a sudden, if you said the world is flat, you're an immediate moron, right? And everyone's like, uh, we've been to space. We look at the ball all the time. We know it's round. It's not flat. And the whole truth of what the entire world thought is flipped on its head. Why? New revelation. In other words, there's things in the Bible that everybody said were bogus, and then, oops, all of a sudden we found it in archaeological discovery. Oh, that's interesting. What I'm saying is that we believe in Jesus Christ being alive, and people say that's bogus, but one day he'll show up again. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That much we know. In other words, it's going to come out. There's nothing that we stand for that is on the word of God that is revealed from his own mouth that will not be vindicated and justified. So he said, don't worry about their opinion. They don't know everything. Hang in there, kids. I'll make sure that we come clear. And then he says this. What I tell you in the dark say in the light what you hear whispered proclaim on the housetops what does he mean well when jesus was here on earth he spent 30 years in relative obscurity there there's no even mention of him in a lot of areas all of a sudden he comes out for a public ministry of three years but a lot of that public ministry he kept saying i'm the messiah Shh. hey i just healed you Shh. I mean, all the time he kept, everybody kept quiet for a long time, but that was all going to change when he dies, raises again, and sets his team loose on the world. The minute he does that, he starts saying, everything I've been quiet about, I want to go public. You guys, I want you to start getting loud about it. I want you to start proclaiming. I want you to start testifying. I want you to start sharing. I want you to get out there and tell everybody what I've told you in secret. But this still applies today. Have you had any quiet time with the Lord where he's downloading anything to you? Do you have a prayer life? Is there any quiet time in a prayer closet where you're engaging with God and though you may not hear his voice, you feel like as you emerge from that place, things are clearer? Do you share that stuff or is it always kept to yourself? Because I believe that one of the reasons he's sharing it with you is that you might need to share it with us. 
He said, what I speak to you quietly, I want to make sure that it gets out there. That's why I'm giving it to you. I want you to share information. Now, you obviously got to put it through some filters, yeah? You got to put it through the filter of scripture, put it through the filter of community. You got to put it through all these different things. You got to make sure that you're checking in and making sure it's accurate. But if God is telling you something, I think that it may be important for some of us to know. But there's another part to this message. Do you realize that you're an ambassador of God? That when he said, guys, I'm leaving, ladies, I'm about to step out, you are now me in the world. And then he sends us out. We are now ambassadors, which means we are now representatives of the empire. We're representatives of the kingdom. And what that means is that you and I, as Christians, are hosts and hostesses of the world. We are to walk throughout this earth knowing that our dad owns everything and we are to check in on people and make sure they're okay. That means that as you walk around and you greet your neighbors or you greet your coworkers or you greet somebody at school and it looks like they're having a hard time, you check in with them and you go, hey, you doing all right? Notice I didn't say you shove anything down their throat. Notice I didn't say you were rude. Notice I didn't say anything about arguing. I said that on behalf of the kingdom, you say, are you doing all right? And if they say, you know what, actually my life is in shambles, that's when you step into the mode to say a phrase in your head like this, is there anything that the king can do for you? Because on his behalf, I am sent here. What do you need? And if they share with you, and you can say that in some natural way, which is, man, what can I do for you? Can I pray for you? That's actually how it sounds out loud. And then if they say, you know what, I just need somebody to listen to me, then that's what the king wants you to do. If they're saying, really, all I need is some friendship, that's what the king wants you to do. If they're saying, if you know they're going, man, this person needs a hug right now, that's what the king wants you to do. If you need to pray for somebody, that's what the king wants you to do. We are ambassadors for the king. And they don't know what's available in the kingdom. You do. So check in on them. Make sure they're all right. Then he says this, and guys, do not fear those who can kill the body. Man, after that, they have nothing more that they can do. They cannot kill the soul. Rather, I warn you of whom to fear. You need to fear God, who after he is killed has the authority to destroy both soul and body by casting them into Gehenna. Yeah, I tell you, fear him. You go, Lance, that's not encouraging. Here's what's super funny about his perspective. He's like, hey, guys, don't even sweat it, man. All they can do is kill you. (laughs) Like, That's kind of what I was worried about, right? (laughs) So you just affirmed my fear. I'm scared they're going to kill me. And he's like, they might. (laughs) You're like, "Well, well, how am I supposed to be calm about this? And he's like, well, hold on, hold on. Let's spin it back around. Why are you worried about that? Because death is like serious. Is it now? Is it? Why, why is it serious? Dude, it's death. I mean, I don't know, but I've never died before. I don't know, but I'm just saying it sounds super serious, right? Here's God's perspective. He's saying, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me explain it from my perspective. My perspective is you were built for eternity. So the infinite majority of your life is going to spend in what you call the afterlife. I'll just call it life. And the little tiny majority, little tiny minority is here. And so if somebody helps you get from here to there, oh no. In other words, why exactly are we worried about this? You see, when I died on the cross and I rose again, Jesus said, I took all the sting out of it. There's actually nothing to fear anymore because now all of a sudden it goes from glory to greater glory. In other words, it goes from far away from me to close to me. And I thought you said that you and I wanted to be close. So if we're going to be close, at some point you got to get to me and I need you to go through that process. I understand the process is all messed up. I I don't like the process at all. That's why I wanted Adam and Eve to kind of do the right thing. Well, that didn't go very well. So listen, we all got to end up dying. However, I just need you to transition to get closer to me so you can actually begin to live the way I designed you to live. So no, actually, I'm not afraid of death. And I just need you to understand that people on earth, they've got nothing on the real you. They can't do anything to you. They can't shut down who you really are. They can't kill anything but simple body, flesh. That's not going to shut you down. They have no power over you. 
Now, if we're going to talk about who you need to worry about, let's talk about somebody who has all the power. That would be God. And it's embarrassing that we're super afraid of people and we have no fear of God. It's super embarrassing that we live our lives like the people in the houses next to us are the infinite creators, but we pay no attention to God. That's just silliness. Is he said, no, 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 you need to make sure you have a healthy respect and awe and fear of God because he's the real deal. So how are we supposed to really fear God? How is that healthy? Because I already know about unhealthy fear. Maybe you know about unhealthy fear. So what is healthy fear? Uh, Think about it like this. Let's say that there is a guy in your neighborhood, big, bad dude, six, nine, ripped, tatted out, right? And you know that he is not only a UFC fighter, but he was just prior an assassin. Okay. Now, you know that this guy, I mean, he can kill anyone with his bare hands and you look at him and he just instills fear in you instantly. Right. But then you look at his kids and his kids have no fear of him whatsoever. Because all they know of dad is he's the one that jokes around and lays on the ground and rolls around and wrestles with them and plays with them and screws around. And he's the one that does stupid things. And he's the one that tells them stories. And he's the one that uses the silly voices when he reads the nursery rhymes. That's dad. Do you understand that he's big and bad and mean and scary to enemies, but not to his children? I need you to understand that some of our fear that we have in the world today is because we don't see Jesus as the big, bad, hardcore guy that he really is. We tend to allow the buddy Jesus to rip out our security. Here's what I mean. If you're having lattes with Jesus all the time, then maybe the enemy's stronger than he is. But if you see Jesus as the revelation Jesus, do y'all understand what I'm talking about? Okay, here's the deal. We keep looking at him as how he appeared in the gospels and we're like, oh, he's got a cute hipster beard and you look how he dresses and look at him. He's so nice and he has ice cream. Okay. Do y'all understand that in the book of Revelation, that gives you a picture of what he was like before coming to earth and what he looks like after he left earth. In other words, he's riding on a white horse as a commander of the army of God, that the angels are at his disposal. He swings his sword, his eyes are blazing a fire, has king of kings and lord of lords written on his thigh. And the men that he commands, the men that are riding along with him that are infinitely smaller than him, one of them killed a hundred. 144,000 Assyrian warriors in one night. Do you understand that's Jesus? Now, if that is our Jesus and we are on his team and he is our dad, then what are we worried about? You understand what I'm saying? It's why the demons are scared out of their minds. Yeah, amen. It's why they fall down and they said, why are you here to torment us before the given time? I mean, the demons are mighty angels and yet they're scared to death of who Jesus is because they know who he is. So do not allow the little, oh, this is my buddy Jesus and we just hang out and we joke around. Don't allow that to make him look weak to you. Our Jesus is mighty, but you do not have to fear his strength because he doesn't use that on his children. Now, should there be a healthy little bit of a nervousness when you get in trouble with dad? Uh huh. Uh huh. But not for that reason. You're more afraid of disappointing him. You're more worried about him coming down on you and grounding you, but you're not worried about him using his assassin skills on you. Do you understand what I'm saying? All right. He said this Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? That's one sixteenth of a day's wage in Scripture. Or let's say they're on sale. Uh, what about five sparrows sold for two pennies, right? And, and these little birds, they're not necessarily sparrows, but the little birds were used as pets by the rich and food for the poor. Uh, that's all they could afford. And yet not one of them, not even the little free guy that got thrown in on the deal is forgotten before God, nor will fall to the ground apart from your father's authorization. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, do not worry, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. What's his point? What's interesting is one commentator that I was reading through and doing research on said uh, a better translation than us to assume the sparrow falls to the ground, 
A better translation than falls to the ground like dying is lands on the ground. What I think is so cool about that is do you understand that Jesus is in the tower going, we're clear for landing, we're clear for takeoff. For all these little birds, I mean, he knows when they land, he knows when they take off, he knows what they're doing, he knows what worms they find, he knows, I mean, he knows all this stuff. Why? Because he cares about his creation, because he's intimately involved in his creation. And if he's that fascinated and interested in the creation that's little birds that are here today and gone tomorrow, how much more is he interested in you? And then he says, even the hairs on your head are numbered. Why does God need to know the number of hairs on your head? What's important about that? Nothing. That's the point. It doesn't matter that I understand that for some of you, it's easier to count, right? I'm looking out here and I'm like, oh, well, God, God's like, well, save some energy there. <laughs> wow. I... We approximately have 100,000 hairs on our head. We're losing, you know, uh, 150 or whatever every day and blah, blah, blah. And then more are growing. He's tracking it. Why? Because everything about you matters to him. That's important to know. Because here's why it's important to know. So many of us think that we can only talk to God about the big stuff, right? Hey, God, I need you to sit down. I got something big for you. All right, I'm sitting down. What do we got? Cancer. Boom, right there. Dude, I got cancer. And God's like, and? No, seriously, this is serious, right? Oh, is it now? Uh, let me remind you, my child. I've dealt with a number of issues of cancer. And however, I'm not as scared of it as you are. And I will tell you this. If I determine it in a moment's instant that you don't have cancer, guess what? You don't have cancer. So here's the deal. Uh, no, I'm not freaked out about your heavy issue. No, I'm not worried about what you're worried about because none of that is a concern for me. Do you understand that I will as I wish and I create and recreate at any moment? So no, I'm not worried about it. Can we just talk about what's on your heart? Because here's the thing. There's nothing that we're going to share that's a big deal to God. So why are we worried about the little things? We literally put them in a category of big and little. And God's going, it's all kind of the same thing to me. What is his perspective? His perspective is that he's dealing with children. For example, let me give you an idea. So my little one, uh, Andy, she's 10 years old. She came to me uh, yesterday and it was in the morning and I was doing some prep work and she came to me and she goes, dad, and she sits down in the chair and it looked really serious. And she said, dad, I just want, I want to show you something that I've been working on. And I said, all right, what do you got? And she goes, oh, we're starting a book club. And I said, all right, that's awesome. 10 year old book club. That's cool. You, what are you going to do? Yeah, we got it all organized out. And you know what? I want to show you my folder. And she sat there for the next 10 minutes and showed me her folder organization for a book club that hasn't happened yet. It had everything for like, if they ever tear their paper, here's a little thing that you can use. I mean, uh, we got everything. We got all the stuff in there and it's lined out. We're ready to do our agenda and everything else. And guess what? I paid attention. Why? Because I've never heard of a folder before <laughs> or because it mattered to her. Do you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't matter about the info. It matters. Does it matter to you? And if it matters to you, then it matters to your dad. And that's why we talk about all kinds of stuff. If you think it's a big deal, it's still not a big deal to God. But he loves the fact that you'll share with him. And so, yes, we talk about all the stuff in our lives. Now, some of it he has to sift through, right? He has to, he has to always sift your mail that you're sending to him. Uh, God, I'm really worried about this. And I got to have this. And if I don't have this, and if I don't get the new thing, and I'm a, he's going, hold on. A lot of that is garbage, but I, I'm, I'm listening to you. I'm hearing you. I just don't think we need to be concerned about that. All right, we're going to purify that out. No, I'm not going to answer that prayer request. That would probably kill you. So we're not going to do that. But we got a, other, a bunch of other stuff we can do. Right? Why? Because that's what good dads do. It moves on. He said, now I got to be honest with you about who I'm protecting and who I'm not and how this, this whole thing works. He said, I got to tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I, the son of man, will also acknowledge before my father who's in heaven and before the angels of God. It's like a heavenly courtroom setting. 
But the one who denies me before man, I will also deny before my father is in heaven and before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And you're like, wow, that's not encouraging either. Well, let me explain what he means. He's saying, listen, here's how it works, guys. If you are one of my kids, I'm all over it. Do you understand that if you are saying, I want nothing to do with your love, I want nothing to do with your provision, I want nothing to do with you, I don't want you caring for me, I don't want you providing for me, I don't think that you're valuable, I don't want to respond to you, and you can take all your love and the cross and the dying and you can just keep it. If you do that, I got nothing for you. I can't be your savior. You're not even, I'm not going to force myself upon you. I'm not even, we're not even in the same game. So no, if you're sitting here in this world and you're just going, oh, I got no, I have no interest in you. And you're right. I'm not going to confess you before the father. We're not together. You understand? Now, if you are saying, you know what? That's my dad. That's who I trust. That's who I love. I'm all over it. Don't you understand? I protect my family. But if you are consistently saying, I want nothing to do with you, and you're going to go to such an intense way to harden your heart and you become my enemy, don't you understand? There's a whole different ballgame going on. I'm not just a guy who, hey, you can do whatever you want. There's no boundaries. It doesn't matter. Hey, you can do anything. I got boundaries. And if you're with me, you're safe. If you're not with me and you're trying to run it on your own, you're not safe. I just need you to know that. That's just being honest. Now, notice what he's not saying. You're like, oh, if I if I like bail and somebody says, hey, do you love Jesus? And I freak out and I get nervous and I say, I don't know. And do you you remember that Peter did that? He denied Jesus on purpose three times. Not only was he forgiven, he was made the head of the church. Okay, so I'm not talking about failure. I'm not talking about being afraid. I'm not talking about all that. What I'm talking about is if you harden your heart and you want no part of his protection, then he can't protect you. But if he is your dad, if he is the one that shields you, you're safe. You're all right. Amen. Amen. And then it says this. He said, guys, here's the other thing. Remember, the bad guys are in charge. They're going to mess with you. So let me tell you how this is going to go. When they, and if you've read the book of Acts, which is after Jesus steps out, all this stuff did happen. And when they, the persecutors, bring you, my followers, before the synagogues on religious trials and before the rulers and authorities in governmental trials, do not be anxious or worried about how you need to defend yourself or what you're going to say in response to their accusations. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour, as needed as it's happening, what you ought to say. In other words, guys, you're never alone on trial. Why do you think you're in trial? I set it up. Here's the thing. I got messages for bad guys. The only way I can get a message to a bad guy is to get you arrested in front of the bad guy. Because you don't get to make an appointment with the Roman emperor and say, can I talk to you about Jesus? No, what ends up happening is they have to bust you on false accusations, drag you before the leader, and then you testify for me. I know what you're doing. I'm already prepped for it, and I'll give you the words to say because you're not there for you. You're there for me. You go, well, how does that apply to me? Somebody comes to you and catches you off guard to ask you about Jesus. You're going to walk away from that conversation, I can almost guarantee you, and think that you blew it. How do I know that? Because we all feel like that. And you're going to think you ruined it and you wrecked it and you didn't say the right things and didn't have the right answers. But guess what? The only reason you got into that conversation was that God set up a divine appointment. And he's more interested in them hearing about him than you are. It was you caught off guard, not him caught off guard. Therefore, he gave you the words to say. And as much as you stumbled through that and kind of screwed it up in your mind, he's like, kid, I can work with anything. I don't think you need to sweat that. I don't think you need to even worry about that. Trust me, if you're tracking with me, we got it. You don't have to worry about it. I'm in charge. I got it going on. And then he said to his disciples, his followers, therefore, because of who I am and in 
who you are. I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, about your body, what you're going to put on. Because life, the whole reason why we are here, the whole reason what it's about is more than food and the body is more than clothing. He's like, man, we got to have a different perspective. You can't be held in suspense. You can't be wondering all the time in anxiety. Oh, what's going to happen in the world? What's going to happen in my life? You don't have all the data to make any of that decision. That's not for you. Don't be anxious. Don't be held in suspense, doubtful in mind, tossed about like a ship at sea. You don't have to worry about this life. I got it. Now, here's the embarrassing part of the message. What we work at, worry about day to day shows where we have a breakdown in worldview. What we worry about shows where we are offline. So let, let's play this scenario out for a moment. Um, let's say, what are you really worried about? Okay, let's say it's a relationship issue. All right, so ladies, we'll, we'll use you as an example in the first one. Let's say that you have a concern that uh, your relationship is going to fall apart with some guy. All right. And so what you're saying is the Lord would say, uh, hon, what are you worried about? He's going to leave me. Okay. Okay. I understand that that would be sad, but I'm sorry. What are you worried about? Well, he's going to leave me. And if he leaves me, don't you know what that means? Uh, no, I'm fuzzy. What does that mean? It means that I'm all alone. It means that I'm no longer with him. It means that my dreams and everything else just got trashed because of his decision. And I have no control over that. And that freaks me out. Okay, hold on. Let's re-rack. First of all, why does he complete you? I thought I complete you. Why is your identity wrapped up in who he is? I thought we were fine. We were fine before we met that joker. <laughs> now all of a sudden he's in your life and what? Now all of a sudden you can't live without him? Hold on a second. Here's what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is, has this dude become your identity? Has he become your idol? Has he become too big of a deal? Do you have this guy on a pedestal? Because if your priorities are out of whack, I understand why you're a little bit worried about this. But if we are back in line and understanding that you are my daughter and we're okay together, if no one else exists in the entire world and you're just sad about it, I'm with you. But we're not going to worry about that. Let's play the other game, gentlemen. What are you worried about? Well, I'm worried about retirement. Oh, you're worried about retirement, are you? What about retirement? Well, I'm worried about like I'm not going to have enough. I mean, I've been saving since I was like 30 years old. And, you know, now I'm, you know, I'm 65 and I'm getting near the age where I might want to decide whether or not I'm going to retire in a few years and stuff like that. And, you know, and I just, I don't, I don't have enough. Hold up. So you're worried about your future, which you don't have any control over, which I'm actually in control over, right? Okay, good. And then... Um, when you're worried about it, what are you worried about? That I'm not going to take care of you, that I'm not going to provide for you, that you're not going to have enough. So you're actually worried about starvation. Well, no, I'm not worried about starvation. I'm worried about, like, I'm not going to have everything I want. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, actually, that's a great point. You might want to worry about that because here's the deal. I never guaranteed that you're going to have everything you want. I didn't guarantee that suddenly you're going to have all these, you know, you're just going to throw money in the air and laugh hysterically. I mean, no, I didn't say that. And I, and I didn't say that all your investments are going to go well. And I didn't say what I said is I'm going to take care of you. And if you're so locked in to, it has to be this type of lifestyle and it has to have this kind of thing. And I have to have all this. So I never have to be concerned and I'm not going to trust the Lord anymore because I have my money and yeah, we're probably going to have a problem. So we can play this game on all of our fears, right? Do you understand how worries demonstrate a broken worldview? We're not seeing it right. And God is saying, somehow we got our priorities out of whack. What's going on here? Because I can take care of you. What happens when God fails us in something he never promised us, our faith diminishes. So let's be careful on what you think God promised you. Well, God promised me that I, I would never die. Hold up. He actually promised the other. He said, y'all are going to die, except one tiny crew when I come back. They're all going to be alive. Other than that, you're all coming through the doorway of death, and you're going to come hang out with me. That's actually what I told you. And as a matter of fact, some of you, your whole purpose in this life is to die for me. That's actually what I told you. That's called a martyr. And so throughout history, there's been a bunch of that. 
So no, no, God never broke his promises. God, and when we keep saying, well, God, I thought you said, hold on. If he didn't say that, you don't get to nail him to the wall for that and say that he failed you because God doesn't fail. And when you keep thinking God fails you, then you have no faith to pray today because you don't think he's ever going to keep anything he says. But please let him say what he said and don't assume what he didn't say. And then it says this. Consider the birds of the air, the ravens. Now, these are crows. They're unclean birds to the Jews. They neither sow nor reap, meaning they don't utilize planting methods. They have neither storehouse nor gather into barns, which means they don't rely on investments. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Why would he have to say birds twice? Because he's talking to Jews. It's one thing if God watches over a clean bird It's another thing if he watches over an unclean bird. Why? Because in the Jewish clean, unclean game, anything unclean has no value and it's worthless. And God goes, what you deem worthless, I don't deem worthless. Sorry. What you keep writing off and saying is not important, maybe it's important to me. All those people groups and all those uh, folks that you don't like or that you don't have any interest in and you wrote them off, I watch over them too. Don't you understand? I protect them. And all these folks in society that are cast out and all those that are oppressed and all those that you think that are poor and useless in your society, those are my people. And so don't tell me I don't cover them. Don't tell me I don't watch over them. I do. It's just not how you are tracking on. He said, by the way, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? What, so you, if you freak out enough, are you going to have a longer life? Uh, if you then are not able to do a small thing as extend your life, which is not a big deal for God, why are you anxious about the rest? Here's his point. Kids, if it was effective, I'd let you do it. If, if worry really helped, I'd let you worry. But it doesn't help. It's not part of the solution. It's not effective at all. As a matter of fact, it ends up stealing your joy for today. So it even wrecks what God has for you right now. Let's say God's bringing blessing into your life today, but you're so freaked out about tomorrow, you don't even enjoy the blessings of today. Now he gets no glory because you're looking at something he didn't set up yet. And so he's looking at this, he's going, wait, 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 it's not working. Here's what we really think. We really think that if we freak out enough, we can shape the universe to go our way. How much magic and superstition is locked up in that? Because here's what we really think. We really think that we can bend God by super stress means that God was like, well, I was going to wipe out your whole family, but now that I know that you're really worried about it, I'm not. (laughs) What? Okay. That's not how God works. God is not a universal force to be manipulated and to be shaped by your freaking out. God is a person, the Lord, who is to be loved and respected and talked to. Our worry isn't helping, it's hurting. And then he said this, why are you so anxious about clothing? Consider the flowers of the field, how they grow. They don't toil they don't spin yet i tell you even solomon in all his glory one of the greatest kings of israel who was massively wealthy was not arrayed like one of these but if god clothes the grass of the field which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven because they'd use it for fuel because there wasn't a lot of wood in that region how much more will he clothe you oh you of little faith where is your trust that i know and i get it where is your trust are you always just worried that i don't love what you love you're probably right. I may not love what you love. I get it. I know you love your stuff. I'm not impressed by it. Now, do I know that you like stuff? Yes. Do I like to give you gifts? I do. I do. Do I think that they're a big deal? No, but I know that you like them. But no, they're not a big deal to me. Therefore, since God's got it covered, Do not be anxious or worried seeking what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or be worried or say, what are we going to wear? 
anything about the earthly provisions. For all the nations, the Gentiles of the world, they seek after these things because they don't know God and they don't have God in their priority. And your heavenly father knows what you need. He knows you need them all. He's not ignorant, but seek first in priority, the kingdom of God, which is his will and seek his righteousness, which is his ways. And then all these needs will be added to you. Therefore, who he is and what he does impacts us directly. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. You got to deal with what's right in front of you for tomorrow will be anxious for itself because it's a new set of challenges with a new set of resources for sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Here's what he said. The whole rest of the world that doesn't know God, they think this life is it. So they think they need to grab everything they can. That's called greed. Don't let that capture your soul. You know, this life isn't it. You know that we're heading forward and that we don't grab onto our stuff that burns. They also think that there is no God, so they have no value. And so they're always afraid. But you know that there is a God. You know that you do have value. You do know that you do have purpose. So don't make decisions like they're making decisions. Make decisions with an understanding of the big picture. And then he says this. You're trying to borrow from today to fill tomorrow, but I haven't put that in your sack yet. In other words, I want you to think of the term manna. Y'all remember that in the Old Testament? There was that, that kind of heavenly magical bread that showed up on the ground in the wilderness, but it would show up in the morning and they would scoop it up, but you couldn't keep it overnight because it would rot. And so he made them get into a daily bread concept. He would only give them enough for the day. What was the point? So they would be reliant on him. And he's saying, man, hold on. You keep looking at tomorrow going, man, I don't have enough energy for that. Hold on. I didn't even give you your resources for tomorrow yet. So why are you looking in your bag today for what's going on tomorrow when I haven't equipped you yet? Because what you end up doing is then you hoard what you have and then you drain your energy of today. Just use what I gave you right now and guess what I'm going to do tomorrow. My mercies are new every morning. And so I got new stuff for you tomorrow and then we're going to deal with it then. And then we're going to deal with it the next day and we're going to be all right. But stop looking in your stuff today for next week. Amen. Fear not my little flock. You understand that means fragile lambs. Guys, he knows how he made us. He knows that we're easy to squish. He knows we can't breathe underwater. He gets it. Fear not. That's a command. Why? Because he's in charge. Fear not, my little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to have given you the kingdom. The Greek words mean God has a blast blessing you. That's what it means. It, it, it doesn't mean that God's stingy. It doesn't mean that here's the deal. The other day I took my daughters out on daddy daughter date day. And what we decided to do is I said, all right, you guys, you pick where we're eating. And we literally drove around for a half hour just trying to figure it out. And when we finally decided it was on the opposite side of town. And we just drove in the car and we were laughing and joking and playing little video games on the iPhone. And we got to the restaurant and then they got to order whatever they wanted. And then we were sitting there and we were talking about movies and we were talking about important stuff with their friends. And we were talking about all this stuff. And then we ended up getting home and we watched this little movie called Earth to Echo. And it's a, it's a kid's movie. And, and we were just laid on the bed and, and we, we had pie dough. We make raw pie dough because it's healthy. No, not really. It's the only thing that our family likes. Anyway, it's not important. And we're just hanging out, eating garbage and watching a movie. And, and when I put them to bed, the girls go, Dad, that was such a blast. Kate, do you understand what that means to a father? To look at his kids and they go, that was super fun. I love that. I live for that. And that's how your dad feels about you. Now, you may be in a season of life where you're asking him for dangerous stuff too often. And he has to keep telling you no. And I don't think he likes to do that. But I do think that when you align with his will and you start asking or he just blesses you and you can just enjoy it. Understand that that date day was not all their dreams. Okay, they would have probably rather hang out with their friends. They probably would have rather had a lot of other things going on. But once they got into the groove and understood they were just hanging with dad. 
and it was fun, they enjoyed it. And that's where we got to get into. He said, guys, if I'm watching over you, sell your possessions, give to the needy. You don't need to hoard for protection. That's not important. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. You got to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where I'm watching over stuff, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. You got to provide yourself with money bags that don't wear out or grow old because kids, where your treasure is, where your investment, your resources, your money, wherever that is, there is going to be your heart, your attention, your passion, your focus. It's really easy to find out what you really love. Where does your mind drift to? What do you spend your money on? And where do you spend your time? That is what you love. I don't care what you keep telling yourself. I don't care what you keep telling everybody on the outside. That is your true love. So what is it? Does it have anything to do with God? Well, I guess that's part of the problem, right? That's why we're getting busted on this stuff. And then he closes with a story just to role model what he's talking about. At that very hour, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, you got to get away from here in the north because Herod Agrippa, the local king, man, he wants to kill you. Jesus said to him, go tell that fox. And to Jews, foxes were crafty, destructive, and worthless. Go tell that fox. Seriously, check this out. I cast out demons and I perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day I finish my course. Now, nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Here's what he just said. Oh, Jesus, you got to get out of here. The bad guys are after you. And he said, so who cares? Guess what I'm going to do today? Oh, what I did yesterday. And I'm going to keep doing what I do because I'm on the father's will. And if I'm doing the father's will, nobody can shut me down. So it doesn't matter. Oh, the king is upset. I'll tell you, here's what you tell the worthless guy. I'm not even tracking on you, dude. I don't care what you think. I care what my father thinks. I do what my father tells me to do. And I'm going to do that. Now, am I ultimately on my way down to Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world? Yes. Why? Not because of you, not because of any persecution, but because my God said so. So he role models. How ought we to live? We track on our Lord Jesus and everything else is details. No, nobody gets to harm you unless they get through an authorization from the father. Does he allow some of it through? Yes, he does. And he said, but if I let it through, I'm going to find a way that after Satan rips you up, I will make find a way to redeem it and turn it around and embarrass the enemy. How dare he ever touch my children? So, no, everything that matters in you, I have safely and I won't let anybody touch it. You are okay. So can we allow some of that to soak in? I guess that's why I prayed about it, right? Because, I mean, we know it in mind. But now the idea is, can we let it soak in and believe it? I don't know. Let's lift it up to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we need that to transfer from our head to our hearts. We need that to soak in and be real for us. So, Father, would you open our eyes and allow us to see your mighty protection, to see your mighty provision, Would you show us, Lord, about how you manage our hearts and you know what your kids need and you know what season they're in and you know how to work with them and you know what they can handle and what they can't handle and you know what they should go through and what they shouldn't go through. And Father, nothing catches you off guard. Would you just allow your blanket of peace to settle upon our hearts? For God, you are the God of all comfort, your word says. Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace, the word says. Your word says that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Your word says that we should not be discouraged, that we should not be afraid, for the Lord our God is with us wherever we go. God, we know that your word says you will never abandon or forsake us. And so, Lord, we are safe in your arms, and we want to praise you for that right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful day, and we'll see you next week.